Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. If you're watching on YouTube, you see that big subscribe button. Click subscribe to the channel and that bell for continued notifications so that you... <laughs> I really butchered that. Click that big subscribe button underneath this screen and also click the bell for continued notifications so that you see content when it drops. I, um, you know, I've been kind of uh, involved in um, some controversy. <laughs> uh, and uh, everybody knows what it is. I, I've had to do a clarification video on James White's accusations. He called me a liar, a slander, and so on. So we had to clear those things up um, just for the benefit of the audience. And... Um, and I'm going to clear something up here as well, but I want to, I don't want to just like, I can't stand it when hosts of podcasts, uh, their podcast, they allow their podcast to devolve into character defense. And they're just constantly, it's like they're insecure about who they are and what they say. And so they constantly have to defend themselves. They feel the need to continuously defend their, their own character. And they're doing that more than they're doing anything else. I feel like I have to say something, um, but I want to say that something within the context of perhaps making this a, a, a teachable moment where we can all learn something. Um, and, and really, the, the context here is, is good scholarship. We want to know how to do good scholarship. We want to know how to interact with um, those with whom we disagree um, correctly. Um, and, um, and at bare minimum, when we're interacting with people we disagree uh, with, at bare minimum, our, the, the object of our conversation needs to be the truth. Just basic uh, principle there, right? I mean, if we're going to disagree, let's hope it's not over the color of our tie. Um, or, you know... Let's hope it's not over uh, our preference for one theologian or another, for one dude over another, right? Let's hope that our engagement with one another circles around the issues and the, the, the problems and around the truth. Um, so recently, um, Dr. Owen Strayan, who is a, a former professor of mine, uh, he posted this. On Twitter, if John Calvin, one of two, one of the one of two men most responsible in human terms for the Protestant Reformation, the other one presumably being Luther, is not a very good Trinitarian theologian, but the new but the new thirty something Thomas theologians are the very standard of excellent Trinitarianism. We officially live in crazy town. First of all, my tweet right here, which somehow got dug up from a month ago, April seventh, um, and given to Strayan and James White and all those. Guys, uh, it's a subtweet. You can see that by looking at the little thing, you know, little kind of metadata underneath my name. It says replying to at acolyte 8334949. Um, which is funny because the graphic that I'm about to show you, I, 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 I struck out his name and stuff, hoping to conceal his identity, but yeah, with nothing gets by Twitter. So you know who he is. All right. So somebody's asking me a question. 
and I'm answering his questions. So this is not just like a tweet that comes out of left field that's put on my main profile and all this. I'm answering a question from a guy who's familiar with the context of my answer. And, um, and here, I'll show you exactly what that looks like. Unfortunately, that wasn't, um, it's not posted with its context. It's posted as if I just said it, you know, without any context. And I was just blurting something out about Calvin. The question is, does this include eternal generation a la Nicaea or no, a la Calvin asking for a friend? Um, and the reason why he frames the question that way um, as if there's a distinction between Nicaea and Calvin is because, and this, there's, look, this isn't me that's, that's making these observations for the first time. There's been a lot of scholarship on Calvin. You can look at a book by Brandon Ellis, this dissertation, I believe. Um, maybe it's a master's thesis. I can't remember. Um, uh, on Calvin's Trinitarianism, uh, the Autothean debates and all that. And uh, you can get that on Amazon. And then there's also Ben Merkel, Doug Wilson's son-in-law, who wrote uh, his doctoral thesis or his doctoral dissertation on John Calvin. So there's been some stuff on Calvin, significant uh, scholarship done on, on Calvin, good scholarship done on Calvin that's shown, look, you know, in some places Calvin's by himself exegetically, in some places in Scripture. And in his articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity with regard to eternal generation, he's also by himself at least in terms of how he articulates the processions. Like out of, out of you know, in one place he'll say the Father is the beginning in the order of processions. In another place he'll say, well, no, the Son is God of himself. And to view the Father as principle in the order of processions, not good. Um, and so there's, there's, some, there's some obscurity in Calvin, which is why if you're looking for a Trinitarian theologian in the same time frame, you know, I would recommend someone like Zanke, Peter Martyr Vermigli, somebody like that, uh, over Calvin. Look, Calvin's a brilliant theologian, given the, given the circumstances that he was in, the, the political pressure that was put on him, did a great job wasn't a trained theologian, was a trained lawyer. Given that situation, um, did much better than I could have. Uh, the guy was sick, said on an average day that the, the best he would feel would be like how you feel, the worst you feel a modern person would feel with the flu. Um, he dealt with kidney stones. His wife died after nine years of marriage, Idolette. Um... He was run out of Geneva the first time he was there. So, did great things. God used him as an initiator for a, a whole massive wing of the Reformation. Um, I'm not, I don't want to downplay any of that. In fact, I just wrote two articles in favor of John Calvin. John Calvin on John 17.5, and then also John Calvin's Classical Theism, where I went through some relevant parts of his institutes. You can find that on the baptistbroadcast.org or .com, but you will never see that in 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 posts like like this one. Because the objective in posts like this is to get the interlocutor to look bad. It's defamement, pure and simple. The sad thing about that is that the doctrine the truth or the falsehood thereof is not the concern here. Um, 
me disagreeing with a personality who lived long ago is the concern. As a scholar, I would hope that Dr. Strayan would have as his object the doctrine and the truth or falsehood thereof. Because that should be our concern. When we think about what makes good scholarship, when we think about what makes for a, an earnest, productive discussion aimed at the truth, we can't get upset that someone doesn't like such and such, or that someone doesn't prefer such and such's articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, but would much rather uh, get articulation from Zanke or, you know, the 17th century guys. The problem is not that, okay, so the issue here really should not be, this is a distraction. The fact that I say Calvin was not a very good Trinitarian theologian, who cares that somebody said that? Why, why did I say that? What's the doctrine here? What's the teaching here? What is the, uh, what is the doctrine? Is it true? Is it false? That's what matters. That's what makes for productive conversation. Instead, it's all about Thomas Aquinas. It's all about John Calvin. It's all about James White. It's all about Owen Strayan. It's all about Josh Summer. And so when you, when you make the dialogue all about persons, dudes, you're distracted from really the meat of the matter, which is the doctrine. And you fall into the trap where you're like, okay, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow, you know, Peter, Kephas. Um, instead of being concerned with the faith. Um, so, uh, so where else did this? So, he, he goes on and he puts out another tweet. Good guys and bad guys per the new evangelical Thomism. So another, another thing about being good scholars, you usually do not apply monikers to your interlocutors that they do not apply to themselves. That just seems to be, um, you know, baseline etiquette. Uh, I've never called myself a new evangelical Thomist. I've never called myself a Baptist Thomist. I don't think I've ever called myself a Thomist. Um, and if I have, I wouldn't call myself that now. But I, I really don't think I've ever even applied that moniker to myself, unqualifiedly. Maybe Thomistic, in the sense that, you know, there's some continuity between uh, the language of the 1689 and, and some of the stuff in Thomas. But really, the issue here is the doctrine of the confession. Is the doctrine true? Is it false? That's the real issue. Good. And and here Strayan is is trying to characterize. I don't know if he's trying, but um but he's characterizing what he believes we believe good is. Catholic Thomas, Thomas Aquinas himself, unbelieving Aristotle, 30 something Facebookers. So um if you look back at any of my stuff, um Here's an episode on Gregory of Nyssa. Here's an episode on Calvin and natural theology. Here is an episode on Basil. 
Um, you know, that's just my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, here is um, here are some articles on John Calvin recently. John Calvin on seventeen five, John seventeen five, and John Gill on Christology. Um, plenty of stuff on the Confession. Um, because that's what I am. You know, I'm a confessional particular Baptist. And so, uh, where, but where is engagement with me or the things that I've said along those lines? Interestingly, it's absent. If you, if you read only Owen Strayan or James, or just listen to James White on the dividing line, you would think that I'm a new evangelical Thomist. You would think that I like Catholic Thomists, and that's all I recommend. You would think that all I recommend is unbelieving Aristotle, Catholic Thomists, 30-something Facebookers, myself and others. Thomas Aquinas himself. That's all I recommend. That's all I talk about. Can we find presuppositionalism in the 1689? That's a month-old episode on, on the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel. Short clip, what is saving faith? That's six days ago. Why should you go to church? Short clip. Um, that's a month ago. Um, simply put, what is simplicity? I think I engaged the second London there. What happens when faith and obedience are confused? I definitely engaged the second London there. Um, my channel is called the Baptist Broadcast. And I'm always engaging the um the second london uh, because that's my my confession again it's it's about the doctrine in the confession is it true or false does the doctrine have continuity with thomas aquinas yes does the doctrine in the confession have continuity with the early church fathers of course glad it does that just proves god's faithfulness over the timeline of church history does the 1689 agree with everything that thomas said no neither do i but see you don't get that from these guys all you get from these guys is, this is a new evangelical Thomist. This is a reformed Thomist. This is a Baptist Thomist. Thomas, 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 Thomas. Make it all about an individual. Make it all about a person. So that you don't have, you can distract from the meat of the matter, which is the doctrine itself, and you can just play guilt by association. Um, that might be good for platforming, it's not good for dialogue. Clarity and dialogue, it's not beneficial for your audience. It's not, uh, it's, it, it doesn't move the discussion forward. It runs the risk of slander. Um, it runs the risk of, of uh, alleging inaccuracies about another person's character, which has, been, which has happened demonstrably. I showed that two weeks ago on James White's accusations on my YouTube channel. And, and this is the same kind of stuff. This is not an accurate tweet about me or about anyone else that he could possibly be interacting with. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about all the different... The Francis Turton's been huge for me. Uh, I, I have gone back to Francis Turton over and over and over again. If you, uh, First volume of the in uh, Lenctic, uh, Institutes of Lenctic Theology is probably one of the most open volumes in my library, second to the Bible. Um, and um, so what, 
what we want to, as Christians, what we want to aim for is the truth. We have to be very careful, especially as, as scholars and pastors, not to make the dialogue about dudes. It must be about doctrine. I've been very intentional. And it's taken the counsel of other men other than myself, because if left to myself, I would do the same thing. I have good friends um, who say, wait, no, don't say that. That's stupid. <laughs> right? Um, and so I would just, I just want to encourage and admonish um, a, a seeking after the truth. That's the Christian's business. God is truth. And so um, we ought to be concerned with, with the truth. And truth is true no matter who said it. And a person can be wrong no matter what they've done that has been good in the past. So this whole personality cult, which is so, um, it's all over the place. It's so pervasive. The, 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 you know, the whole 11th commandment, thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed and all of that, has worked its way into everywhere, every sector, every bubble of, uh, of evangelical conversation. Um, it's worked its way into, into every sphere. And, and, and so what you get is you get, um, thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed. You cannot say this about this person. He's too influential. You can't say it because of what he's done elsewise. But what he's done elsewise doesn't negate things, other things that he's he's done that are not so good or things that he's done that are not correct, said, said things that he said that are not correct. Again, truth is not a respecter of persons. And I, I think dialogue would, would go a lot more smoothly if we could recognize that fact. Again, I've been beating this drum. Go look at the confessionalism episode with Steve Meister that I did just 11, 12 days ago. Very helpful. It's helpful for me. I, I think it was helpful for a lot who listened to it. The question is, what do we confess? Is it true? Is it false? That's the project. What does the second London mean when it says God is without body parts or passions? Um, what does the second London mean when it says that in chapter eight, with regard to Christ's two natures, that they are, that that they're without conversion, uh, that they're without composition or confusion. What does that mean, and how does that apply to our exegesis of places like John seventeen five? That's the project. What is true, what is false. Anyways, guys, hope hopefully this was helpful. God bless. Um, if it was helpful, please give it a share, retweet. You know whatever your social life is like online. Um, and uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Have a good one.